Greetings, everyone. I'm Jeffrey K. Lyons, and it's Tuesday, January the 9th, 2024, and this is Narrative Wars. By now, we've all said goodbye to 2023, and we're looking forward to 2024. Of course, this is a presidential election year. Our first story is that the Supreme Court will be taking up the Colorado Trump ballot ban case, along with the state of Maine, which also wants to block Trump from the ballot. Second, we look at an important opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal, which points out the absurdity of postmodernism and the academic creep of this cancerous ideology into higher education. And finally, we focus on the U.S. Congress and Speaker Mike Johnson's backroom dealings with Senate Majority Leader Chucky Schumer. All of this and the bigger picture on today's episode of Narrative Wars. I'm your host, Dr. Jeffrey K. Lyons, and you don't want to miss this. We the people are sick and tired. Let's peel back the curtain of confusion to shed light upon the mainstream media madness. And now, Narrative Wars with your host, Jeffrey K. Lyons. We the people are sick and tired. So tired. We here at Narrative Wars are so thankful for you, our listening audience. As we begin 2024, we're about to reach the 5,000 listener download mark. And this is remarkable since we've been shadow banned repeatedly this year. So yeah, give yourselves a hand. 5,000 listener download mark. We're just about there. Great job, everybody. Thank you. Th thank you. Listeners to Narrative Wars, great job. Some of you uh, also noticed that we took about a two-week break in December, and I wish I could have told you that we had a wonderful vacation, and we went to this country and that country and saw marvelous sights and learned amazing things, but no, I was just out with a cold or a flu. The good news is that it wasn't COVID, and we're back up and running here. You know, it was one of those things, and I was uh, talking to a doctor uh, this morning, you know, it, it goes from uh, this family member to that family member to another family member, and then it lands on your shoulders. And uh, yeah, I think that's been happening all across the country. So thank you, everyone, for being patient regarding that. One thing that we're very thankful for is that you take time out of your busy day to be part of Narrative Wars Posse, the listeners that support this program. And this is why we do our program each week, because of you. I've also learned that some of you are listeners of Dan Bongino and Matt Walsh, and these are two podcasters that I draw great inspiration from, and I'm humbled that you also choose to listen to this program. In 2024, we'll continue to face the issues of the day, and as a former university professor, I'll continue to cover stories that touch on education and especially higher education. As one person said, without education, we're only one generation away from returning to our Stone Age past. Finally, we're planning to break out into a video version of Narrative Wars in 
2024. So stand by for future announcements regarding that. And now on to today's program. So the first piece that we're going to take a look at has to do with the U.S. Supreme Court. And they decided just a few days ago to take up former President Donald Trump's appeal to the Colorado ballot case. They reacted quite quickly. Trump filed his appeal on Wednesday, and on Friday, they decided to take it up. Now, the state's Supreme Court in Colorado has uh, disqualified Trump, uh, and that happened in late December. Uh, they cited the 14th Amendment to the Constitution. Uh, let's take a listen to this piece from CBS News legal contributor uh, Jessica Levinson. I'm Catherine here in Washington, and we're coming to you now with some breaking news. The U.S. Supreme Court has decided to take up former President Donald Trump's appeal in the Colorado ballot case. The state Supreme Court disqualified him late last month, citing the 14th Amendment to the Constitution. It bars those who have taken an oath and participated in or aided with an insurrection from holding office again. Oral arguments are set to begin February 8th. CBS News legal contributor and Loyola Law Professor Jessica Levinson joins us now. Jessica, let's just start with the pace. Uh, Republicans uh, from the state of Colorado asked the Supreme Court to hear this case in December, and they've already agreed. Does that tell you that we're on a fast track? As we know, mm -hmm. the big cases typically come out at the end of June, but time is of the essence here. There are primary ballots that are going to be printed. And even more than that, we need to have clarity on this question of whether or not the front runner for the Republican nomination is in fact qualified to be president of the United States or if he's legally barred from being so, because that will change the dynamic of the race, obviously. So let's take that a step further. What are the arguments on both sides before the court? So I think the arguments that the former president should be disqualified are essentially what the Colorado Supreme Court said, which is that Section 3 applies if there is an insurrection. They said there was an insurrection. If the former president gave aid or comfort to those who engaged in insurrection, again, they said he did. If the office of the president is an office that is covered by Section 3, the Colorado Supreme Court said yes. If you do not require a conviction of aiding or abetting an insurrection prior to applying Section 3, and again, the Colorado Supreme Court here said that's not required based on a plain meaning of the Constitution. So we're going to take a look at these arguments. These are the arguments that are in favor of throwing Trump off the ballot, the Republican primary ballot in the state of Colorado. Now, all one needs to do is look at the 14th Amendment, Section 5. And what does it say? I'm going to read it verbatim. The Congress shall have the power to enforce by appropriate legislation the provisions of this article. So it's right there. They do not have the authority that the justices and the state authorities inside the state of Colorado. So we're talking about the state-level authorities. They have no authority to kick Trump off the ballot. I just re read it to you. 14th Amendment, Section 5. Congress has the power to enforce. Only Congress can do this. And those are your elected officials in Washington, D.C. Okay, we're talking about the House 
We're talking about the Senate and, and it goes into even more detail by appropriate legislation. In other words, they have to pass a law. It has to go through the House of Representatives. It has to go through the Senate. Then it has to be signed into law by the President of the United States. That's what that means. So th this is a total sham. This is totally election interference, clearly. That's a better term. This is crystal clear election interference. And just, oh, let's just throw away Section 5 of the 14th Amendment. Let's just ignore that. This is why we have a Supreme Court of the United States. So all these other arguments about Trump was a part of an insurrection, and we can argue if it was an insurrection or if it wasn't, uh, they become moot. In other words, they become arguments that fail because of Section 5 of the 14th Amendment. So the Supreme Court is going to be ruling on both Maine's ability to throw Trump off the ballot, and also they're going to be looking at, of course, Colorado's ability to do that. And so, you know, there's a lot of talk about, oh, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, the disqualification clause, and the president being an officer of the United States, and he took an oath to support the Constitution's and engaged in insurrection, you know, they drove this over and over and over, this false premise, this big lie, insurrection, when really what it was was a shooting gallery. They cornered the people that were there to peacefully protest, and then they shot different projectiles at them, smoke, stun grenades, other things, Dig a little deeper and you're going to find the truth. So I think this is going to be a slam dunk. I predict all the justices will throw this out. Otherwise, the United States of America will go into a free fall and become a banana republic where every time one group takes office and is in power, they will throw the other group in jail or force uh, leaders of the other group, the prior leaders, into exile and they'll exit the country. This happens all the time in small nations around the world. But we're headed in that direction in the United States of America if the Supreme Court of the United States does not intervene. All right, moving on. Let's li listen to this as we continue. Uh, this is cut number 2A. On the other side, I think you have both legal and policy-based arguments here. So on the other side, we have the former president saying there wasn't an insurrection. I didn't give aid or comfort to those who engaged in it. You didn't convict me of that, that Section 3 is not self-executing, that Congress, in fact, has to act before it can be applied, and that Section 3 doesn't apply to the president. So it, they really are, in many ways, mirror images of each other with the addition of the former president saying, and don't take this away from the voters, let the voters decide. So they did mention uh, in that piece, what I mentioned 
14th Amendment, Section 5, Congress shall have power to enforce by appropriate legislation provisions of this article, and it is explicitly Congress. Uh, There's also a due process clause that is in the 14th Amendment, and there has been no due process. In fact, President Trump has not been convicted of any crime. Uh, They're just saying, oh, look at the video. It doesn't look good there. January 6th, uh, pay no attention to the guards and the police, Capitol Police, that are beating people uh, to death. That's what happened to Roseanne Boylan. Don't don't look in that. uh, Don't look at the video in the tunnel. Uh, Don't look at uh, the fact that Ashley Babbitt was shot. She was unarmed. She bled to death and no aid was given to her. No, don't look at that. But uh, Trump was starting an insurrection. Oh, and don't uh, listen to that uh, evidence of Trump uh, announcing, which he did, to the crowd, go home. And before they went to the uh, Capitol, he said, go over there and peacefully protest. No, don't listen to any of that. It doesn't matter. Listen, the entire Democrat argument to block Trump from the primary ballot is based on this one premise, that Donald Trump participated in a planned insurrection at the nation's capital, and that this occurred while Congress was in session on January the 6th, 2021. Uh, They were there, Congress was there, in order to validate the electoral votes and to proclaim the winner of the election uh, that was held in November of 2020. So this is the mainstream narrative. So a couple points here. One, Trump called the event a peaceful protest. This is on record. Uh, Trump's supporters were unarmed. Uh, What kind of insurrection happens when people are trying to overthrow a government and they're unarmed and they're walking around with selfies And and some of them have their children with them. Hmm, doesn't really sound like a very threatening crowd, does it? Trump supporters were even escorted into the U.S. Capitol by security. Yeah, just come on in and overthrow the government. No, that doesn't seem right either. The Democrat-run J6 committee was a kangaroo television event. No due process designed to push the insurrection narrative and humiliate Republicans. It didn't work. Republicans retook the House of Representatives. Do not forget Ashley Babbitt, age 35. She was there to peacefully protest. She was shot and bled to death, shot by a Capitol Police officer. Roseanne Boylan, 35. She was beaten to death by a Capitol Policewoman in a tunnel entrance to the U.S. Capitol. Kevin Greeson, 55, another peaceful protester. He had a heart attack. Benjamin Phillips, 50, heart attack. Also another peaceful protester, unarmed. And then there was U.S. Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick. Now, there was a narrative that he was injured and, and that the protesters caused his death. Au contraire. No, he died of natural causes one day after responding at the January 6th event at the U.S. Capitol. That's according to CNN, April 19, 2021. So this was planned by Democrats way back in 2020. They wanted to create a visual narrative. They wanted to sell this story that this was an insurrection. And what you see playing out in Colorado and in Maine and other states, 
that was planned way back in 2020, prior to January 6th, this was always their intention, that the event that occurred was not a peaceful protest, that it was a insurrection, and that they would ultimately be pursued in the courts in order to prevent Donald Trump from running for office in the future. In other words, this was a planned soft coup in which they were going to, without taking Trump to court and concluding a case, without Trump even being convicted of anything, that he'd be thrown off the ballot. And uh, if we continue to go down this road, we're just not going to have liberty in this nation anymore. The United States Constitution will be nothing more than a piece of paper. Moving on to our next piece, in 1996, physicist Alan Sokol published an essay in The Social Text, and that's an influential academic journal of cultural studies. Now, whenever you hear studies, gender studies, cultural studies, this studies, that studies, that is code for Marxism. That is code for we hate America. That is code for we want to divide Americans. We want to fan the flame of class warfare. So that's an aside just for free there. So in 1996, physicist Alan Sokol published an essay in Social Text, but the essay was a brilliant hoax, a parody, and it was filled with nonsense. It was written in the cutting edge, but impenetrable lingo of postmodern theorists. And so it was meant to mock postmodernism. He thought it'd get rejected, but they accepted the paper. Let's take a listen to this piece, which covers uh, this paper that was submitted by Alan Sokol. And we're going to get into it even more on the other side, uh, because there was a recent Wall Street Journal article regarding this, January 5th, 2024. Let's listen to cut number two. In 1996, physicist Alan Sokol submitted a paper to the postmodern cultural studies journal Social Text. The paper, titled Transgressing the Boundaries Towards the Transformative Hermeneutics of Quantum Gravity, was intentionally nonsensical, a parody of what was seen to be the worst of postmodern literature, containing excessive jargon, misuse of scientific terminology, and appeals to leftist politics. Sokol wanted to see if such a paper would be published as an experiment in the legitimacy of postmodern academia. It was accepted and published, and Sokol followed up by revealing that the paper was a hoax. This led to a scandal. Extensive media coverage used the paper as proof of the dominance of corrupt postmodern academics, denouncing a variety of figures in contemporary continental philosophy, even ones that had nothing to do with the journal. To this day, it is brought up as proof that postmodernism was quote-unquote destroyed. It is often mentioned in YouTube comments as a counter-argument to anyone defending postmodern theory. So as a follow-up, why are we taking a listen to this piece that has to do with an article that was written by a physicist back in 1996? Well, there was a recent opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal written by a Mr. Krauss, and this was published January the 6th, 2024. Now, Mr. Krauss 
is a theoretical physicist, a physicist similar to Mr. Sokol. He's president of the Origins Project Foundation and author of The Edge of Knowledge, Unsolved Mysteries of the Cosmos. Well, according to Mr. Krauss, he says, quote, When I taught physics at Yale in the 1980s and 90s, my colleagues and I took pride in our position on Science Hill. Uh, we took pride in our position on the Science Hill, looking down on the humanities scholars in the intellectual valleys below as they were inundated in postmodernism and deconstructionism. Now, I got to unpack this a little bit for the audience. Yes, there is rivalry going on between academics on university campuses. You have to understand that they're siloed within their fields of research. The mathematics people don't necessarily talk to the biology people. The biology people don't necessarily talk to the people that are studying astronomy and so forth. So he's saying there, yes, we were a bit snobby. Those of us that were on Science Hill doing research in theoretical physics. And we look down with disdain on those people in the social sciences. And what was going on in the social sciences back then? Well, postmodernism was bubbling up to the surface. And now what's happened on university campuses around the United States of America and around the world is that this postmodernistic view, ideology of the world, is that everything's a narrative and that we construct our reality through our narratives and that there is no objective reality. It doesn't exist. Those stars out there, well, they only exist if you think it exists and you talk about it, but maybe they don't really exist. It's just something that we discuss in our minds. And so this whole gender ideology, the he, she, we, them, it thing that's out there, that all comes out of this postmodernism gibberish. So what he's saying is that he's tying in the whole trend of postmodernism and how it's destroying the American education system and it's destroying education around the world. We, we're not tethered to any reality anymore. And this is what's happening all around the world. So he continues and he talks about this paper that was published by Alan Sokol back in 1996. Now, Sokol, who was a physicist, attempted to make fun of postmodernism by submitting to this journal a paper, which he thought would certainly get rejected, but it didn't get rejected because it was a postmodern journal. And he peppered the paper with all these psychological, politically charged psychobabble and nonsensical terms, mixing it with theoretical physics, which they had no concept of, the people that looked at his article prior to publishing it. And so they published it. Well, the name of the paper was Transgressing the Boundaries Towards a Transformative Hermeneutics of Quantum gravity. And we're going to put that in the links. And if you want to look at it and have a laugh, it's there. It's out there. So 
the, another reason why this opinion piece was written by Mr. Krauss, the theoretical physicist, is that now you're getting papers coming out which look a whole lot like so-called hoax article that was published in 1996. And these papers, these people are serious. They really believe this nonsense. Folks, you have to be careful in terms of going to the universities, sending your children to the universities, or let's say you're paying for it. Don't take these nonsensical courses. It will melt your brains and you won't know what's up, what's down, what's right, what's wrong. Let's take a listen to some of these papers. November 2022, Journal of Chemical Education published, quote, a special topics class on chemistry, on feminism and science as a tool, the disconscious racism in STEM. In other words, there's something wrong with STEM education. It's racist and it's not feminist enough. So reading a little more, here's the abstract. This article presents an argument on the importance of teaching science with a feminist framework. In other words, we have to radicalize science from a feminist perspective. This is what these people do. They inject their political ideology into every subject that they're able to. Teaching science with a feminist framework, and it defines it by acknowledging that all knowledge is historically situated and influenced by social power and politics. That is basic, straight-up Marxism ideology. Marx says that all of history is defined by class struggle, and that is Marxism, social power and politics, Marxism, pitting one group against another, Marxism. In March 2022, Physical Review Physics Education Research published, quote, Observing Whiteness in Introductory Physics, a case study. The abstract says, within whiteness, the organization of social life is in terms of a center of margins and transcendent figure that is consistently and structurally ascribed to the value over and above figures. So there's something wrong with you based on is in your body. And this defines everything about you. They don't care about your education. They don't care about your past, your family. They don't care about your research, what you've accomplished. All they care about is the melanin in your skin, observing whiteness in physics. So physics isn't safe anymore. Here's another example. Undergraduates are being exposed to this stuff as well. Here's Rice University. They offer a course called Afrochemistry, the study of black life matter, L-I-F-E, matter, in which, quote, students will apply chemical tools and analysis to understand black life in the U.S., and students will implement African-American sensibilities to analyze chemistry. Isn't chemistry just chemistry? I mean, who cares how much melanin you have in your skin or how much you are of this race or that race? Doesn't chemistry act the same? Doesn't H2O have the same properties in Africa as it does in the United States, as it does in China? Isn't the boiling point of water the same everywhere on the face of the earth or, or the temperature Celsius when water freezes? 
I mean, what does any of this have to do with the amount of melanin in your skin? This is absolute nonsense. Avoid these courses, folks. So this is important because this is the sort of brainless, political, postmodern nonsense that is being shoved down the throats of students, both at the university level, and now we will probably see this nonsense continue to trickle down to the high school level. This is how it works. So when a group of physicists led by Charles Reinhardt wrote to the American Physical Society, publisher of Physics Education Research Journal, to object to observing whiteness article, APS invited a response, and then they refused to publish it on the grounds of its arguments. So they have no back, backbone, these people. If you disagree with this and you're part of the academy, they just won't listen to you. So we're going to wrap this piece up here. 1999, Alan Sokol and Jean Bricmont, who's Belgian, Alan Sokol is American, they published a book which was a follow-up on their criticism of postmodernism. And the book was called Fashionable Nonsense, Postmodern Intellectuals, Abuse of Science. You can add your voice to the conversation that stands for liberty and the freedoms that Americans hold so dearly. Join us on social media on both Getter, that's G-E-T-T-R, and True Social. Just search for at Jeffrey K. Lyons. I enjoy receiving your feedback and reading some of your comments on the air. Again, you can follow us on both Getter and True Social. Search for at Jeffrey K. Lyons. And when you listen to us on your favorite podcasting app, please five-star rate, follow, and send our podcast link to one or two like-minded friends. That's how we continue to expand the Narrative Wars posse. You are the reason why we do this program. And now, let's continue. So, turning to our next piece, the deal between House Speaker Mike Johnson and Senate Majority Leader Chucky Schumer well, it includes $886 billion in defense spending and $704 billion in non-defense spending. So let's give a listen to this piece. This is CBS Philadelphia, January 8th, uh, 2024. Congressional leaders say they've reached a budget deal to keep the government funded through the end of the fiscal year. Now, that deal between House Speaker Mike Johnson and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer includes $886 billion in defense spending and $704 billion in non-defense spending. Two funding deadlines are coming up January 19th and February 2nd, and if Congress does not approve the budget deal, the government could still shut down. So... These numbers are so astronomical that the average American uh, just doesn't even pay attention. Following up on this piece regarding Speaker Mike Johnson and cutting a deal with Senate Majority Leader Chucky Schumer, Politico, January 7, 2024. Under the bipartisan agreement, Johnson negotiated with the Senate Majority Leader Chucky Schumer Defense funding is set at $886 billion, non-defense $773 billion. Non-defense budgets would remain roughly flat, and they're comparing it to last year, 
according to less than 1% decrease compared to current funding and military programs about a 3% increase. Now, you might think, oh, that's not so bad. Only uh, about 1% difference from last year from non-defense budgets and military went up 3%. Yeah, it is bad because when COVID happened, the federal budget ballooned 20% compared to prior years. And so we've never gone back to the budget even prior to COVID. And COVID only happened a few years ago. So, you know, it was called COVID-19, but it really kicked off in January of 2020. It hasn't been that long. But the government doesn't even seem to have the will to go back to spending levels prior to 2020. See, the government never goes back. They just argue about, oh, we only increased at 1% or only increased at 3%. And this is what they do. And then they, they will brag about cuts over here and cuts over there, but then they'll increase it somewhere else. So the overall budget never goes down. Another follow-up piece, New York Post, January 8th, 2024. House GOPers seethe at Mike Johnson over $1.66 trillion spending deal with Dems. So we're going into debt. $1.66 trillion? It's just insane how we continue to spend money that we don't have. So what is some of the feedback from House members? It's even worse than we thought. Don't believe the spin. That's Conservative House Freedom Caucus. Once you break through the typical Washington math, the true total spending level is $1.658 trillion, not $1.59 trillion. Total failure. I'm a no to the Johnson-Schumer budget deal, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene says. This is a $1.6 trillion budget agreement It does nothing to secure the border, nothing to stop the invasion or stop the weaponized government targeting Biden's political enemies and innocent Americas so much for the power of the purse. And remember, Marjorie Taylor Greene invaded multiple times. They call it swatting. Somebody calls the police Oh, some terrible crime is taking place in so-and-so's house. Nothing's taking place. And they come busting into your house at some unannounced manner with a SWAT team. And it's happened to Marjorie Taylor Greene over and over. And here they're saying the new trillion-dollar budget does nothing to secure the border, stop the invasion, or stop the weaponized government targeting Biden's political enemies. Here's another quote from Representative Bob Good, Republican Virginia. Republicans agreeing to spending levels 69 billion higher than last summer's debt ceiling deal. No significant policy wins is nothing but another loss for America. Well, a couple other observations here. Before we leave this story, I was a Mike Johnson fan. I am no longer a Mike Johnson fan. Very disappointed. And in fact, what's the point 
of doing these so-called 12 appropriations bills if Johnson is just going to do exactly what the prior Speaker of the House did, McCarthy, he's just going to strike a deal with Chucky Schumer. So why even pass appropriation bills out of the House? I, I don't understand. A few days ago, Speaker of House Mike Johnson, he was at the southern border in Texas proclaiming that securing the southern border is a priority. And there were 60 members of the House of Representatives there with him. Photo op, photo op, no teeth behind it. Nothing in this new budget that is going to secure the border. And that's why Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, Republican Georgia, says, nope, I'm going to vote no. But you watch what happens. He's going to secure the votes from the Democrats and get this horrific piece of legislation passed out of the House. So there we are. What's the takeaway? Well, really, I think at this point, if they fire Speaker Mike Johnson, it's really going to look bad for Republicans. It's going to send a message around the country that Republicans have no idea how to govern. So I don't think that's in the cards. The House Freedom Caucus and the liberty-loving Americans in the House of Representatives they're going to have to find another way to keep Mike Johnson's feet to the fire, to keep his promises to the American people. And now it's time for our final segment, which we call The Bigger Picture. Well, the political left has a problem. They pretend to be the poster children of diversity, equity, and inclusion. But the reality is that DEI really stands for distrust, exclusion, and ideology. The political left distrusts all those who do not agree with them. The political left excludes voices that challenge other perspectives than their own. And finally, the political left is bound to Marxist ideology. In other words, they hate America and they hate the concept of liberty. The scenario of distrust, exclusion, and ideology, once again, it was played out before our eyes recently in the state of Pennsylvania. You remember during the so-called Summer of Love in 2020 in the wake of the tragic death of George Floyd in May of 2020 that statues were being vandalized, removed across the United States of America? And in Pennsylvania, there's a park called Welcome Park. So this last weekend, according to the National Park Service, they were going to take down the William Penn statue. Now, Welcome Park, just to give you a little background, the park is located on the site of William Penn's home. You know, he's the guy that Pennsylvania is named after, and his slate roof house is also there, and the park is named for the ship that brought Penn to the New World, and the ship was called Welcome, and that happened back in 1682. So this is a lot of history for the people of Pennsylvania. The National Park Service had plans to remove a statue of William Penn and his historical home at the park. And as it turned out, there was so much public outrage 
against this proposal that even Pennsylvania's Democrat governor, Josh Shapiro, weighed in on the situation. USA Today reported January 8th, 2024, several people, including local politicians, took to social media Monday to voice their concerns over the removal of the statue of William Penn from Welcome Park. Pennsylvania State Rep. Marianne White, a Republican, said on Facebook she hoped the agency would find a way to incorporate the statue into the renovations of the park. The plan drew intense criticism from conservative commentators, news outlets saying that the William Penn statue had been canceled. Governor Josh Shapiro, a Democrat, said his team had been in contact with the Biden administration over the course of the day to correct this decision. And by the end of the day, Shapiro said, I'm pleased Welcome Park will remain the rightful home of this William Penn statue right here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, which Penn founded. Of course, we know what's taking place here. We're in a presidential election year. Pennsylvania, the Keystone State, is a presidential battleground state representing 20 electoral votes. President Biden can't afford criticism from a Democrat governor and the ire of the citizens of Pennsylvania in this presidential election year. So the National Park Service, they capitulated. They announced a reversal of their decision to raise or remove the statue of William Penn in a park that honors William Penn in the state of Penn, Sylvania. You kind of see the theme there? Sometimes left-wing ideologues, they just get a bit too arrogant for themselves and they overplay their hand. And in this rare instance, cancel culture itself was canceled. Yeah, good job. Yeah, you humiliated yourselves. Cancel culture people. How would Americans react if cancel culture activists proposed the removal of President Lincoln's statue in the Lincoln Memorial? Remember? He was the president that won the Civil War and passed the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which abolished slavery. Don't be surprised if a few years from now, the left-wing anarchists in America will attempt to remove Lincoln's statue from the Lincoln Memorial. That's who these people are. As Americans, we certainly have a checkered past, but the United States of America is still a beacon of hope to the nations of the world. There is a reason why millions of illegals are clamoring to invade the southern border of the United States. If they didn't think there was a promise of a better life, they wouldn't want to come here. So what's the lesson in all of this? Stay vigilant. Stay aware of what's going on around your community and your state. As goes your community and your state, so goes the rest of the country. What just happened in Pennsylvania should be an encouragement to those Americans that believe in the principles of liberty that founded this nation. Make no mistake, this will happen, and this will happen repeatedly in 2024 and years to come. They're not going to give up, folks. Remember, Welcome Park in Pennsylvania, 
And remember that given enough public outcry from citizens and elected leaders, the overreach of federal authorities can be pushed back. Remember that this is not necessarily a partisan politics issue. It was a Democrat governor who pushed back against the Biden administration. This is a spiritual battle for the heart and soul of America. So ask yourself, what legacy do I want to leave behind for my children and for the next generation? As Americans, we still have freedom of choice. The good news in all of this, Pennsylvanians were not afraid to say no against the woke culture wars. Liberty-loving Americans around the country need to follow their example. That's our right in the land of the free and the home of the brave, a place where we can still proclaim liberty throughout the land. And that's a comforting thought. Until next time for Narrative Wars, I'm your host, Dr. Jeffrey K. Lyons. We the people are sick and tired. Hey. So tired. Hey.